Well, if you do have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to open up to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, as this morning, we are diving into our second sermon uh, from Paul's letter to the Galatian churches. And we will continue to focus in on how to understand, receive, and live out the gospel of grace. Many of you know that my family, we, we lived out in Northern California for a time when I was growing up, and mainly when I was elementary age into middle school age. And in eighth grade, we moved back to Indiana. And so in eighth grade, I walked into a new school in a new state, knowing absolutely no one. But I quickly became known as the kid that was from California. And along with that came some stereotypical questions people ask you uh, when you are from California. Uh, For example, the question that I would often get asked was, uh, how much did you go surfing? And and I, as, as someone who was new to school and as an eighth grader who wanted some friends and I wanted to be liked and I wanted to be accepted, um, I don't think I told any too like blatant outright lies, uh, but I definitely embellished the truth a little and played up the California thing because I perceived that that was what people wanted to hear. I perceived that that was a way that I could be liked and accepted by them. And so I would say something to the effect of, uh, like, uh, oh, you you asked me how much I went surfing? Whew. I mean, when was I not surfing? That's the question, (laughs) you know. Uh, And in my head, I'm thinking, all the time, all the time I was not surfing. Uh, We actually did not go to the beach very often. Uh, I stood on a surfboard, I can count maybe twice, and maybe once, only one of those times was actually in water, I think. Um, and I still am kind of beating myself up that we were an hour away from the ocean and we just didn't know what we had there. But, uh, but, but you see, I, I perceived and I, and I thought that the, the people that were around me, that was what they wanted to hear. And I wanted to be liked and I wanted to be accepted and I wanted some, some friends. And I'm sure that, that each of you in here can think of some times in your past when you did some things or you said some things or you lived in a certain way with the goal of being accepted by someone or by some group of people. And some of you young people, some of our teenagers, uh, listen, I know that, that right now this is a season of life where that desire, it's, it's strong in you. And so I want you to be extra engaged this morning because there is no other gospel for people pleasers and acceptance seekers other than the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of grace. Now, adults, you don't get to be off the hook this morning. You need to be engaged this morning as well because many of you have actually not matured out of your middle school stage and many of us have not matured yet out of the middle school desire for acceptance and for friends and to be liked. And many of us are still controlled by a fear of rejection And as a result, you live most of your life like a slave to the people you are trying to please, rather than as a servant of Christ. You see, in our pursuit of acceptance, we can easily be led astray if we're not doing what our sermon slide says up there. 
In our pursuit of acceptance, we can easily be led astray if we're not understanding, receiving, and living out the gospel of grace. And so consider this with me for a second. Is your life mainly defined by living for your acceptance with others or from the acceptance you've already received from God through Christ? Is your life mainly defined, the decisions you make, the choices you you have, the, the thought process you have as you go about your day, is your life mainly defined by living for your acceptance or from the acceptance you already have with God through Christ? One of the most difficult things I have faced in being a pastor these last six years, and one of the things God has been working on uh, in me the most, but I still have a long way to go, is that at times I have desired too much to please people and to be liked and accepted by them. And I question whether or not to even share that with you this morning because I want you to like me and accept me. So I'm still in process. I'm still in process. And I, and I think if we're all honest, we sometimes feel still the way I felt as the kid who arrived from California walking into a cafeteria looking for people to sit with. You kind of know what that feels like in your gut. And some of you, that's how you feel. You feel that, that loneliness and that desire to be accepted. You feel that fear of being rejected. And if that's you, listen, I come bearing some really, really good news for you this morning. I believe that by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you can start to be more free of that today. And so last week we started into talking about how how Paul is addressing this letter to the, the churches throughout Galatia, churches that he had planted, he had shared the gospel with, he had discipled. But now he's been away from them, and he's heard reports that false teachers have come in. And last week, we started talking about how these false teachers, they weren't necessarily outright rejecting what Paul had taught, but instead they were distorting the gospel by how? By diluting the gospel, by adding things to grace. They were adding circumcision and the ceremonial law back into how someone is accepted by God. And so last week we looked at Paul's opening greeting and we saw his, this typical greeting of grace and peace. Grace and peace. And that's his, that is his typical greeting because it's a summary of the gospel. The good news of our salvation, it starts with grace. It ends with peace. And we talked about how if you're not experiencing peace with God and others, it's likely because you're not enjoying and extending God's grace. And now we come to verse 6. And Paul jumps into his main concern for the Galatians. And he directly rebukes and condemns these false teachers. And so as we look through uh, verses 6 through 10, we will be reminded that there is no other gospel other than the gospel of grace. And that we must be on guard not to be led astray in our pursuit of acceptance by false teachers who distort the gospel as well as our own hearts, when our desire to please people becomes greater than our desire to please God. 
This is how we can be led astray in our pursuit of acceptance. We can be led astray by false teachers who distort the gospel, as well as our own hearts, when our desire to please people becomes greater than our desire to please God. The one true gospel is the only good news for people pleasers and acceptance seekers like you and me. So look with me now at verse 6, Galatians 1, verse 6. God's word says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Let's stop there. And and what should stand out to us in Paul's letter to the Galatians is that Usually in his letters, and really what was custom in the letters at that time, was after an opening greeting, you would expect a section of thanksgiving. Like typically Paul would would thank God for the people that he's writing to. He would give them some general updates and news on what's going on. And so as the Galatian churches are hearing this letter read, they would be ready to expect a thanksgiving. They would be expecting some sort of general news and updates from Paul, but what is striking here is that he gets right to the point. No thanksgiving from Paul here. He is concerned about what's happening in the churches in Galatia, and he gets right to the issue at hand. And so we see from that that this is obviously a pressing concern he has. He cannot even take time to get to the usual pleasantries and thanksgivings and all that. He just gets right into it and he says, I am astonished. I am shocked. I am outraged. I can't believe this is happening. He was just with them, proclaiming to them the gospel of grace and all its goodness and all its fullness and all its glory. Paul had proclaimed to them that by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, they have been justified, declared right with God and accepted by him. But now he is astonished to hear that they are so quickly deserting God who called them in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That term for deserting, it was, it was used in a military context a lot for traitors, those that deserted their, their armies. He is astonished to hear that they are so quickly deserting God who called them in the grace of Christ. They're turning to a different gospel, and then he clarifies, not that there is another one. <laughs> By the way, there is no other gospel And you remember last week we said, Galatians, it's, a, it's like a letter for recovering Pharisees. And we're all, to some degree, recovering Pharisees. Because Jesus, yes, gave himself on the cross for our sins, but he gave himself to save us from the present evil age. And the age that we've been saved from is an age that is largely defined by, you must earn your right standing with God. And so what's happening in Galatia and what happens with us is that in our pursuit of acceptance, sometimes it's easier and more comfortable to be led astray by those who change the gospel than it is to allow the gospel to change us. That that sometimes just, 
You know, that feels better in our pride, in our, in our recovering Pharisee mode. It just, it's a bit easier and more comfortable to be led astray by those who change the gospel rather than to allow the gospel to change us, to humble us, to show us how it was all of God and not of us. And so now Paul's going to ramp things up a little bit, if, he, if you think he hasn't already, because those false teachers that are leading people astray, he's got some very direct and condemning words for. Look at this really, really strong language he uses now in verse 8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul's not messing around here. There is no sugarcoating this. He says that those who distort the gospel, let them be accursed. He's essentially saying, let them be condemned to hell. This is strong language. Those who distort the gospel of Christ, he says, let them be condemned to hell. You see, church, the enemy of our souls cannot stop the gospel from going forth to the nations. He can't. He's not powerful enough. He tries. He tries to silence and kill Christians who are taking the gospel to the nations. But the more he kills us, the more we multiply and scatter and spread. The enemy cannot stop the spread of the gospel. But what he can do is he can introduce counterfeit gospels. What he can do is flood our airways with counterfeit gospels. What he can do is distort the gospel, and he can, through false teachers, spread counterfeit gospels that will lead people astray. And so, church, we need to be on guard. We live in a time and a place where the gospel can go forth freely. And praise God for that. But we also live in a time and a place where the enemy's counterattack is very real. And our culture and our churches and our airwaves are surrounded and full of counterfeit gospels that lead people astray. That longing that our hearts have for acceptance, I'm telling you, it's a longing that God gave us so that we would find it in Him, so that that longing would be satisfied in Him. But counterfeit gospels come in and they play on that longing and they lead people astray. So for example, we are surrounded by the counterfeit gospel of self. The gospel, the counterfeit gospel of self, which teaches that Jesus is merely the way to personal fulfillment and the way to accept yourself. It's a counterfeit gospel. Don't worry about if you're right with God. You just worry about accepting yourself. You just worry about feeling good about yourself. Jesus is the way to feel good about yourself. It's a counterfeit gospel. We are surrounded by the counterfeit gospel of prosperity, which teaches that Jesus is the way to get the amount of money and possessions that are acceptable to you and make you feel like things are all right with this world and that you are good. You've got enough. 
the counterfeit gospel. We are surrounded by the counterfeit gospel of morality, which teaches that, yes, while you didn't live in an acceptable way to God at first, now Jesus has come. He's given you a second chance. He's given you a clean slate. And now it's up to us once again to try to earn acceptance with God one more time. I mean, you know, Jesus gave us a second chance. Now it's up to us. Let's do this. And time and time again, we, we fail, we fail, we fail. And we keep walking the aisle to rededicate our life to Christ because maybe next week we'll try harder and we'll do it then. It's the counterfeit gospel of morality. Now, I'm sure you've, you've heard this before. It's a great illustration used by many a pastor and preachers. But the best way to spot a counterfeit gospel is the same way you spot a counterfeit currency. You don't spend all your time studying the counterfeits. No, you spend your time understanding, receiving, and living out the real thing. The real thing. You set your mind and your heart on the real gospel, and then you'll be able to spot when something doesn't seem quite right. When something seems like a counterfeit. And this is why we need one another church because we are surrounded by counterfeit gospels. And so as new books are coming out and new podcasts are coming out, new sermons are coming out, we gather every Sunday to remind ourselves of the true gospel and to help one another spot these counterfeit gospels. And so what a gift it is to have the church, the people of God to surround us and Run things past. Hey, I'm reading this new book. He's saying this in a different way. What do you think about this? Hey, I just heard of this new preacher. He's, he's, he's preaching this. Is this, is, this, is this in line with the true gospel we've received? Church, there is no other gospel than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there is no other gospel than the gospel of grace that says that Jesus Christ came and lived how in my sin I could not live. And he died the death that I deserved to die. And he rose from the dead so that I could be raised to newness of life. And when I trust in him, he takes my sin and he gives me his righteousness. And now God declares that I am right with him. The Father looks at the work Christ did, not the work I did. The Father looks at the work Christ did, and he accepts me. That's the good news, church. The Father looks at the work Christ did, and he accepts me. He declares me righteous. He adopts me as his son, and now nothing can separate me from the love and acceptance that are found in Jesus Christ, my Lord. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And there is no other. And so look back at verse 8 with me because not only will counterfeit gospels go forth in this world, but counterfeit religions and faiths will go forth as well. And I don't know if anyone else thought this, but as I was reading verse 8, it just seems to speak so directly against false religions and particularly the one that came to my mind was Mormonism. The Apostle Paul was writing this, but he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God knew that there would be counterfeit gospels, counterfeit religions going out in the world, that all a part of the devil's schemes would be to lead people astray who were genuinely seeking acceptance with God. 
And the reason that I bring up Mormonism specifically is because Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, claims to have been visited by the angel Moroni in the 1800s and given golden plates that he translated then into the Book of Mormon. And so listen, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this more with anyone who's, who struggles with this or wants to talk about this, but Mormonism is not Christianity. It is a counterfeit. They teach that God the Father was once a man who progressed into godhood. They teach, and that is false. They teach that Jesus is not one with the Father, but that Jesus is a created being. And that is false. They teach that Jesus' death on the cross does not provide full atonement of sin. And that is false. They teach that, that Jesus' resurrection, it, 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 it provides us resurrection. And they'll say resurrection is by grace. And they'll hear me preach about grace. And they'll say, yeah, we like grace. Resurrection is by grace. But then they'll twist it and they'll say, but salvation is by works. You might be resurrected by grace, but you're not going to be saved unless you do these certain works. And if you do enough of these works, you can become a god yourself as long as you become a Mormon and participate in secret temple rituals, which if anyone's ever telling you about secret temple rituals, you need to run the other direction because a lot of bad stuff is coming. A lot of dark stuff is coming. And so some people think that Joseph Smith made up the whole thing about the angel visiting him. Maybe he did, but I actually, I don't think he made, made that up. I don't think he made that up, but it's for different reasons than what Mormons think. I believe he could have been visited by an angel. Because God's word says in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. I think he likely was visited by an angel of light. But it was likely a, a demon whose name is Moroni or Satan himself in disguise. And therefore, everything coming from false religions, specifically coming from Mormonism, is empowered by a demonic power that seeks to be a counterfeit gospel with an intent to deceive and distort the true gospel and lead people astray. And people who are not understanding, receiving, and living out the gospel of grace can easily be led astray. But what does God's word say in verse 8 of Galatians 1? He says, but even if we, even if Paul starts preaching a counterfeit gospel, even if an angel from heaven starts preaching a counterfeit gospel, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned to hell. There is no other gospel church. but there will be no end to the counterfeits that we come across. But there is no other gospel than the gospel of Jesus. There is no other gospel than the gospel of grace. But church, it's not just those out there that can lead us astray. That's the first part of the message, that we need to be on guard against false teachers, counterfeit gospels, counterfeit religions. But it's not just those out there that can lead us astray. It's not just those who preach a counterfeit gospel that lead us astray as we seek the acceptance that our hearts are longing for. Because don't even our own hearts lead us astray at times. Aren't we all a bit prone to wander at times? Our hearts will lead us wrongly astray. In our pursuit of acceptance, 
which again is a desire that can only be fully satisfied in God, we can lead ourselves astray when our hearts desire to please people more than they desire to please God. And so now in verse 10, Paul is going to defend himself against the false teachers because these false teachers were likely accusing him of being a a people pleaser. They were likely accusing Paul of being a Gentile people pleaser who didn't want to tell the Gentiles to get circumcised just because that is a difficult sermon to preach. Right? Not, not too many Gentiles in the first century, they say, are going to walk the aisle for the altar call if he's preaching Christ and circumcision. And so he's saying, Paul, you're just being a people pleaser. You're just covering over some of the difficult things. And Paul's like, what are you talking about? I just cursed people to hell. We can all agree that's not a classic people pleaser move. And so as, as is often the case, what the false teachers were accusing Paul of was what they, in fact, were guilty of. And I don't quite understand what's going on in humanity with that, but that seems to be the case in lots of circumstances. What people accuse others of is actually what they themselves are guilty of, but it happens a lot. And this is happening with the false teachers here because they, in fact, were the ones who were being led astray by their own hearts that desired to please people more than they desired to please God. So look at verse 10 now, Paul's response. Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There was a time in the Apostle Paul's life where he was primarily a people pleaser and not a servant of Christ. But now the gospel has changed him. The gospel has changed him. And he's been freed from making it his primary aim in life to please people. And now it can be to please God because he's no longer working for his acceptance. He's already received that by grace through faith. Now he's working from the acceptance he's already received from God through Christ. And church, this is the good news for us as well. The gospel of grace is good news that guards people pleasers from going astray. Because it frees us from living for our acceptance. When we are reminded of the gospel of grace, we realize we've already received that by grace through faith. We don't have to work for that anymore. Now we get to work from it, from the acceptance we already have. The gospel guards our hearts from our hearts, leading us astray. Now, let me clarify a couple things about people-pleasing. All right, we're going to talk about this here for a little bit, but but a couple clarifications. In regards to people-pleasing, first, it is not necessarily wrong to please people. I mean, some of you think right now you can check out on me for the rest of the sermon because no one would ever accuse you of being a people-pleaser. I mean, you can't think of the last time you did something that actually pleased anyone. And if that's you, okay, hear hear me out. Uh, That might just be because you are a selfish jerk, okay? All right? It's not necessarily wrong to desire to please people, okay? Um, Some of the qualifications for even church leaders in in, in God's Word are that they are above reproach, that they're thought of well, well of by outsiders, 
Okay, and then we know as we as Christians, we're to count others more significant than ourselves. We're to look not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. Okay, so it's not, it, it's not wrong to want to please people. Okay? Second clarification. If you are married, the Bible makes it clear that part of your aim in life should be to please your spouse. It should be to please your spouse. To please God and to please your spouse. Those are, those are two main aims in life that I think we can, we can build a biblical argument for. And, and if those are what your, your main aim in life is, to please God, and if you're married, also to please your spouse, most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, you will actually end up pleasing a lot of people as well. Now, sometimes things are going to come into conflict, and, and by pleasing your spouse, you're, you're, you're going to displease maybe your parents or your mother-in-law or something like that, right? You've got an amen down here. But most of the time, all right, most of the time, actually, if you're pleasing to God and you're pleasing to your spouse, there, there's going to be a lot of blessing that other people experience, and a lot of people will be pleased by that, but, but not all the time, not all the time. The sad thing, though, is when we make our aim to please people, and they're our main aim, I'm going to please, I'm going to please this person, I'm going to please this person, and we try to do everything to please this person, what we end up doing is actually not pleasing them at all, and we miss everything else as well. We miss the aim of pleasing God. We, we don't please our spouse. Church, you can't have two masters. And whoever you are aiming your life to please is your master in that moment. If you aim to please people, you will not only fail at that, but you will fail at pleasing God as well. But if your aim is to please God, and if you're married, if your aim is to please your spouse as well, many others will be blessed by that. And so it's not wrong to want to please people. I guess that's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of uh, press in now to our people-pleasing tendencies, but I wanted to clarify those things first. It's not necessarily wrong to please people. It becomes wrong, all right? Now, it becomes wrong, it becomes sinful, and we get led astray when our desire to please people grows greater than our desire to please God. And, this, and those desires can fluctuate throughout the week, but we go wayward when, we, when our desire to please people starts growing larger than our desire to please God. We go wayward when we start thinking that the acceptance that our hearts are longing for is going to be found in a person other than Jesus. You're getting off on the wrong track if you think that the acceptance your hearts are longing for could be found in any other person other than Jesus Christ. You've started to wander and hear the true gospel today because the gospel frees us to make our primary aim in life to please God because now we are not living for our acceptance but from our acceptance that we already have with him. And so the question this morning is, are you being led astray? Are you being a bit prone to wander because you're living for your acceptance and not from your acceptance? Right now, is your desire to please people greater than your desire to please God? 
And here, here are just a few signs that maybe your desire to please people might be greater than your desire to please God. A few diagnostic tests maybe to run here and to, to try to understand and diagnose what's going on in your heart. And the first one is, um, if you are a person who doesn't know how to say no, it could be that your desire to please people might be greater than your desire to please God. Like if, like if everything in you wants to always just say yes and yes and yes to everyone and everything that is asked of you because you want their approval and you want their acceptance and you're afraid, you're fearful of their rejection and, and, and you haven't embraced yet that you are limited in your time and your energy. If that's you, if you don't know how to say no to people because you're afraid you're going to be rejected by them and you really want to be accepted by them, it could be that your desire to please people is greater than your desire to please God. Another sign that your desire to please people might be greater than your desire to please God is when your thoughts are more consumed with the thought, how will others perceive me? Instead of, how will God be glorified? Like, what are you mainly thinking about throughout the day? For people pleasers, the main consumption of our thought life is, how will people perceive me? Not, how will God be glorified through this? When something bad happens, it's, it's, oh no, how will people perceive me? Not, man, I wonder how God's going to be glorified through this. Or when something good happens, to say, praise God, I wonder how people are going to perceive me. Instead of, I wonder how God's going to be glorified through this. And when our thoughts are consumed with how will others perceive me, this, this leads to a, a life of superficiality and hypocrisy where you're so concerned with how the outside of the cup looks, you've never asked for help to clean the inside. This leads to a life of fear because you're, you're desperately afraid of rejection. You constantly worry and are anxious about how people are perceiving you instead of how you can genuinely love them and glorify God in your relationship with them. Like, what if, what if your friendships, what if in a, in a relationship with someone else, in that friendship, what if you thought more about how to love them and glorify God in that relationship more than you thought about what they're thinking about you? That could transform things. That transforms friendships. That transforms how we view relationships. If my thoughts are more consumed with how can I genuinely love this person? How can God be glorified in our relationship more than I'm up late at night thinking about how they're perceiving me and what they think about me? Another sign that your desire to please people might be greater than your desire to please God is if you are a perfectionist. A perfectionist is a perfectionist because they are living for acceptance and not from acceptance. A perfectionist is oftentimes paralyzed by a prideful fear of imperfection, and they typically do very little in the kingdom because they are afraid. They are afraid of giving an imperfect gospel presentation to someone, so I'll let someone else do that. 
They are afraid of being an imperfect city group leader. So I'll let someone else do that. They're afraid of being an imperfect missionary or pastor. They're afraid of giving an imperfect sermon. They're afraid of being an imperfect parent. They're afraid of being an imperfect friend. They are afraid of being an imperfect you fill in the blank. You see, a perfectionist has not yet humbled themselves and accepted the fact that anything God calls them to do, they will, in fact, do imperfectly. And along these same lines, a perfectionist or someone whose desire to please people is greater than their, their desire to please God, they will be overly sensitive to any feedback or correction. If you give any sort of constructive criticism or biblical counsel, they will respond as if their world has ended. Because in their minds, it has. Understand this. This is important for all of us to understand. The reason that they will respond as if the world has ended is because they see the feedback and the constructive criticism as a serious threat to their reputation and how they are being perceived, and that is mainly what they're thinking about in life. So if you start attacking that, or if you start saying some things that could harm that, you now have harmed everything they're thinking about most of the day. Someone who is living from their acceptance with God and not for their acceptance, they will get feedback and correction and they'll see it as an opportunity to grow. Like it might still hurt at first, but then you're like, well, I've I've already humbly accepted the fact that I'm imperfect. I already know that I do still need to grow as a person and a follower of Christ. And so I'll receive your counsel and I'll take it as an opportunity to grow. I know I'm already accepted with God. I'm, I'm already his child. I'm secure in that. But someone who is living for their acceptance will see constructive criticism, will see biblical counsel as an all-out assault on their reputation and how people perceive them and their perfectionism that they're trying to protect, and they will feel as if they have been rejected and cursed by you all because they are not understanding, receiving, and living out the gospel of grace. Now, here's some good news for all the people-pleasing perfectionists in the room, and all those signs of people-pleasers I just shared apply to me personally. I know from firsthand experience. But here's the good news for us. Brothers and sisters, you are accepted by God because of the gloriously righteous perfection of Christ. And since Christ is perfect, you don't have to be. Since Christ is perfect, you don't have to be. Now listen, that's not a license to sin. That's a license to be a human being. That's permission to be a human and to accept your limitations, to accept that you live in a fallen world, to accept the fact that you are not yet who you will one day become. And since Christ is perfect, 
You don't have to be, church. I wish, I don't know if anyone else needed to hear that this week, but I wish you could have seen the weight that was lifted off my shoulders as I wrote those words this week. Because I struggle every week, I think that I'm going to write, this week will be the week I'm going to write the perfect sermon. I, t- I, I really think I can do it. it you, you, you ask me towards the end of the week, how's the sermon you know, coming? Like, oh, I'm just, I'm not there yet. And I tell myself, if I had 24 more hours, 48 more hours, two weeks, maybe two months more, and I could have a perfect sermon for you, maybe. And then on Sunday, I'll tell you, the p- part of the struggle of, of a pastor is, is just, we come in so disappointed that we didn't, we didn't get to it. We didn't get the perfect sermon. We didn't deliver it the, the, quite the right way we envisioned and wanted it to be delivered. And so as I was writing those words, there was just this beautiful weight lifted off of me. And I set my mind on the perfection of Christ. And I can walk in here on a Sunday morning, yes, having been faithful to prepare and to pray, but at the end of the day, I can turn it over to the Lord and can trust that Christ is perfect and he will work his plans and his purposes through imperfect people and through their imperfect efforts and through their imperfect sermons and their imperfect work throughout their week and their imperfect parenting. You see, we get into an unhealthy place and our desire to please people grows more than our desire to please God, but it it often starts in a well-intentioned place. And so even in my sermon prep or even in my pastoring or even in how, you know, we're, we're trying to pray through just next steps for us as a, as a church and for city groups and things like this, like it usually starts in a well-intentioned place. It starts with a, with, out of a love for you. But then what happens if, if the gospel of grace is not understood, received, and lived out and applied in our life, even as pastors then, it can move into a desire for you to be pleased with us. And then it can move into desiring to please you more than a desire to please God. And so even well-intentioned efforts, while they might start from a love for people, if the gospel of grace is not understood, received, and lived out, if it's not applied to every aspect of your life, you can trend to these unhealthy places where you end up thinking, how did I get here? but it seems as if I'm living with a greater desire to please people than a desire to please God. And if that's you this morning, may the Spirit remind you of the gospel of grace. And may God remind you that you are not to live for your acceptance, but from the acceptance that you already have with Him through Christ. And therefore, you can hand over your prideful perfectionism and you can rest in the fact that Christ is perfect. And therefore, you don't have to be. You don't have to be church. Growing up, I enjoyed playing sports. And as you get older in sports, at some point, uh, you have to go to tryouts. And uh, tryouts can be a little stressful. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're nervous about it. You're wanting to make the team. 
but you're always, as you're, as you're doing the sport, you're always semi-concerned about what the coaches are thinking about you, right? Like, like what are they writing down? You know, you're kind of watching them as you shoot a basket. Like, did they see that? Did they write that down? Why aren't they writing something down? What are they looking at? And you stress yourself out. You're all nervous about it, trying to do your best because you want to be on the team. You're afraid you're going to get cut. And then they stop the drill because they need to instruct you on something. They're being a good coach. But even as they're instructing you, you're just freaking out like, oh, no, does this mean I'm not going to make the team? Does this mean I'm cut? You, you don't even learn anything they're trying to teach you. You're just worried about, are, are, is your name going to be on the list when tryouts are over? He's not going to accept me. I'm not going to be good enough. And church, as I, as I prayed for you this week, what the Lord impressed upon my heart is that I think some of you are living every day under the stress of feeling like this is a tryout. A tryout with God and others. Will they accept me? Will I get cut? How are they perceiving me? Is God disappointed with me? He's haven't heard from him in a little bit. And some of you live every day of your life like you are trying out for a team that you desperately want to be on and be accepted by. And listen, I am exhausted for you because that's an exhausting way to live. That's why you're tired and weary. Are you living like that? And if you are, I do not think you are fully understanding, receiving, and living out the gospel of grace. Because when we trust in Christ, when we trust in Christ, we are accepted by the only team that matters. There are no more tryouts. We are now part of the family. And my dad would, would try to reinforce this into me throughout my whole life. My dad would relentlessly ask me the question, you know I love you, right? Son, you know I love you? And I would say, yes, Dad, I know you love me. He would say, why do I love you? And I would say, because I'm your son. That's right, because you're my son. That's why I love you. And he'd ask me that before a game. He'd ask me that after a game. He'd ask me that after a good game, and he'd ask me that after a bad game. He'd ask me that when we were celebrating together and partying together and enjoying things together, and he'd ask me that when he was disciplining me as well because he wanted to reflect the gospel to me. His acceptance of me was not due to my performance. It was not a tryout. It was because I was his son. And I'm telling you, it is that love and acceptance from my earthly father that changed my heart to where now I, I desired, I wanted to obey a dad like that. His rules were not burdensome to me. They were not a duty to me. They now became a delight because I had experienced that unconditional love and grace that he had set upon me from my birth. Church, when you trust in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, 
you are united to Christ. You are united to the Son of God. And if God the Father accepts God the Son, then He most assuredly now accepts you. You understand that? There's no boasting in that. It's, it's because of Christ's work that he accepts you. It's because of the Father's commitment and love to the Son. But you've now been united to the Son. You've been accepted in him. There's nothing you could go this week that, and do this week that is going to change that. You are loved and accepted by the Father for the sake of Christ. You are united to him. Tryouts are over. You no longer have to pursue acceptance from God because God has provided your acceptance through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so church, as I, as I close, is consider with me that, that question I asked at the beginning. Is your life mainly defined by living for your acceptance with others? or from the acceptance you've already received from God through Christ. And together, let's apply the gospel to this part of our lives. Let's be on guard against the counterfeit gospels and religions that surround us. Let's not be led astray by those who seek to change the gospel instead of to allow the gospel to change us. And let's also be on guard against our own hearts when we notice in them a desire to please people is becoming greater than our desire to please God. And church, today may you be freed as sons and daughters of God. And let's see what could happen when we stop living for our acceptance and start living from the acceptance we have from God through Christ. Let's pray.